login. The two most common words for a website. Just about any internet service wants to give users a personal experience through the creation of an account. These accounts are kept secure from unauthorized entry by a combination of a public username and also a private password. With so many different accounts, it can be difficult to keep track of passwords, especially since it feels like every website has its own standard, be it an extra number or a capital letter. This difficulty means that everyone has had to click the dreaded forgot password button at some point. Usually, after a lengthy process of proving that you are who you say you are, the website either gives you a temporary password or just asks you to create a new one. This seems especially counterintuitive as retrieving and giving you your old password would be so much easier and would eliminate the step of having to memorize a new password. What people don't know is that the website doesn't know your old password any more than you do. In fact, once you created that password, the website immediately deletes it. The server only has a fuzzy understanding of what it approximately looks like, but it's just enough of an understanding for the server to know what it is not. Hans Peter Loon worked for IBM shortly after World War II. He held an important position, one dubbed with the title of inventor. And indeed it was his inventions that gave birth to an idea still used today. On January 6, 1954, Loon filed for a patent, a machine he called Computer for Verifying Numbers. This computer would take a 10-digit number, double every second digit, add up the digits of the resulting new number, multiply it by 9, and then display the last digit of the result. This digit became known as the check number, and was appended to the end of the original 10-digit number. In the 1960s, most IDs were transcribed by hand, leaving plenty of room for error. With Loon's computer, any 10-digit ID could be verified. For example, if someone was unsure as to whether a number was transcribed correctly, instead of attempting to get the original, an often costly and difficult procedure, one could simply compute the check digit for the number in question and compare it to the one given at the end of the original ID. This is the most basic example of a hash function. The term comes from a culinary hash, which is a dish made by chopping food into small pieces. Similarly, a hash function chops up some seemingly unworkable data and converts it into a format that has easy computation and searching. After all, the function is most commonly used in converting words, or strings as they're referred to, into numbers which are much easier to handle for a computer. The numbers resulting from the function are called the digest. Interestingly, the cryptographic application comes from an inconvenient property of hashing. Hashing simplifies the data and therefore loses some information from the transformation. This information is impossible to retrieve after it is lost, and it means that the hash function has no inverse. One cannot go from simple to complex and from digest back to string. This means that as a cryptographic function, once data is hashed, it cannot be decrypted. Some functions, such as the check digit, which goes from a 10-digit number to a single digit, lose a lot of information. It is a fundamental trade-off for the loss of information the hashing function gains speed. One extreme is the absolute fastest possible function, which sends every single word to zero. The other extreme is to designate each word its own individual number, so that no information is lost at all. Clearly, both extremes are unwieldy and unworkable. So going back to our password example at the beginning, a website takes a password, hashes into a number, then stores the hash, discarding the original password string. If these hash databases are found by hackers, they are much more secure than password databases, as the website only stores a meaningless number per user, from which hackers are unable to extract the original password. When a user enters their password, the website hashes their attempt and compares it to the user's number on file. 
If the numbers match, the password is correct. Even if hackers find out the original hash function, as there does not exist an inverse, the passwords are still secure. The main goal in the creation of a hash function is to create one which loses just the right amount of information. For example, you might consider simply adding up each letter in the string based on its position in the alphabet. However, then the words ban or 1 plus 2 plus 14 and high or 8 plus 9 would map to the same number, 17, clearly resulting in a problem. This is what is known as a collision. Clearly, collisions are bad and make hashes vulnerable to attack. Hash functions are broken this way, and once a collision is found, the function is no longer considered secure. When discussing potential attacks, we assume that the hash function and the digest are already known, though oftentimes there's an extra layer of security over them. The most intuitive method is the brute force attack, simply trying every possible word until one word gives a digest matching the one given. However, this is often slow, and every good hash function has an astronomical number of combinations to try. A more streamlined method of brute force is called the birthday method, where the hacker only has to check square root of 2 to the power of n possible hashes, where n is the length of the digest. The advantage of this method over standard brute force is that the hacker is only looking for a collision, not necessarily a specific one. This relates to the classical birthday paradox, which is concerned with finding the number of shared birthdays in a group of people. As there are only 365 days in a year, taking 366 people would yield a 100% probability that at least two of those people share a birthday. However, 99.9% .9 probability is only achieved with 70 people, while out of 23 people, there's a 50-50 chance that two people will share a birthday. Similarly, there's only a finite number of possible digests, and the probability function of finding a collision grows exponentially when the attacker is not looking for a specific birthday, or in this case, digest. The question then becomes, once a collision is found, how does the hacker actually gain any information from the hash? Usually, once a method is developed for finding and generating collisions, if the hacker has access to the database of hashed passwords, the hacker can do what is called a replay attack. Posing as a potential user, the hacker is able to generate a password that is usually different from the correct one, but one that hashes the same value, meaning that the program will recognize the attacker as the user and grant them access. Most hash functions are constructed using the Merkle-Domgard construction. The strength in this construction comes in collision resistance. As there are a finite number of digests and a much larger number of possible inputs, collisions almost always exist. However, under this construction, they are very hard to find. Indeed, the birthday problem discussed before gives an upper bound on the number of possible inputs needed to find a collision. The closer the number of inputs needed to check to the upper bound, the better the function. The Merkle-Domgard construction divides the original message into several blocks. It then uses a compression function to compress each block into the fixed digest size. After combining the digests from each block, the hash function outputs the final result. There is also a padding function in place, so that the message input is converted to a string that is always the same number of blocks. Even though this construction is collision resistant, it is vulnerable to a number of different attacks, specifically to one that is known as length extension attack. Because of the padding function, knowing the digest of a string makes it possible to compute the digest of a string padded with some information of the attacker's choice. For example, if the original message encoded was hello, the hacker could then pad it with the word John and compute the digest of hello John without ever knowing that the original message was hello. There are two main types of functions that have dominated public use. 
These are the MD and the SHA functions. The MD, which stands for Message Digest, was a cryptographic algorithm developed by Ronald Rivest, a professor at MIT. Originally created during the early 1980s, the algorithm's second evolution, the MD2, was released to the public in 1989. The main idea behind these hash functions is the concept of a random S-table. An S-table is a cryptographic tool which is essentially a very complex substitution cipher. The table is generated by indirectly using digits of pi, billions of places after the decimal point. Each individual letter of the string is run through the table 18 times. The result is a hexadecimal number of size 32. MD2 was revolutionary in that similar inputs had wildly differing outputs. If two 64-letter inputs differed by a single character, the resulting two digests would have no digits the same, creating what is known as an avalanche effect. The MD2 is no longer considered secure, though it is still not able to be broken by a standard desktop computer. Unfortunately, the MD4 and the MD5 algorithms, which slightly complicate the idea of MD2, were catastrophic disasters, as eventually it was discovered how to create collisions within seconds on even a regular home desktop computer. Despite all of these problems and its condemnation by security experts, MD5 is still used in almost a quarter of password verification systems today. In 1993, the NSA released the Capstone Project, which was designed to create cryptographic standards to be used in the public sector. This project received massive backlash from the cryptographic community, outraged that the National Security Agency would be creating public-use algorithms with all the implications of a backdoor. However, the project moved forward and released SHA-1, which stands for Secure Hash Algorithm 1. Any objections were drowned out with the public accepting of the new algorithm as being perfectly secure. Later, collisions were found in SHA-1, and SHA-2 was released by the NSA. Largely, both SHA-1 and SHA-2 were based on MD and had similar ideas, albeit outputting a longer digest. In fact, while SHA-2 is still considered secure, the NSA released a completely new algorithm, SHA-3, which is a complete departure from the S-tables at the center of MD-style algorithms. Both SHA-1 and SHA-3 are still the standards for modern encryption. Despite being extensively studied, there is always a possibility that the algorithms designed by the NSA have a backdoor and simply facilitate spying into what was previously secure. Hashing is the definitive standard for any cryptography that involves comparison. The scene is quite worrying. Whether using the outdated algorithms like MD or the NSA-created SHA-1, there is no good alternative function and the functions that keep our passwords secure might not be so foolproof.